0: Good afternoon or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when almost anything can happen, and most of the time it does. So, let me tell you what's happened literally since we planned to go on the air. We had planned toward the end of the show to carry a live launch of a SpaceX uh, Dragon spacecraft, the Endeavour spacecraft, carrying crew number three from Cape Canaveral to the International Space Station that was supposed to take place at about 12.21 our time this morning, and the launch has been scrubbed. The reason is weather, because remember, one of the really cool things that Musk is doing is he is landing his first-stage rockets back on, uh, uh, of course, I Still Love You or any of the other drone ships. So apparently tonight the weather in the uh, South Atlantic where the uh, rocket would come down is neither fit for man nor beast nor landing uh, uh, automatic rockets. So they have postponed the launch for two days, three days. Well, technically I said three days. The new launch is in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, which means it's kind of like late Tuesday night, at 1.10 a.m. Eastern Time. We will not be on the air, but if you want to watch it, go to uh, nasa.gov, and you can watch it. And if you are lucky enough to have NASA select on your satellite or cable TV systems, you can watch it there. They start coverage many hours before. They, you know, come up with all kinds of interesting trivia, like what those guys were doing There's a very interesting uh, woman, you know, from uh, the Naval Academy, who is going up this time, and they're doing all kinds of intriguing experiments, and I kind of wanted to talk about it tonight in the context of our larger issues, which are going to be Bill Shatner and the, you know, second age of space, cum the beginning of the Star Trek universe, but of course, uh, we will do that, minus a really interesting live launch toward the end of the show. Darn. Anyway, um, for those of you who are new to The Other Side of Midnight, you want to go to our homepage, theothersideofmidnight.com. Theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on tonight's banner, which says rather dramatically with a beautiful view of the Starship Enterprise, there, silhouetted against the moon, Um, the mutiny aboard the Enterprise, question mark, What's really going on behind the ugly T. K. Shatner Twitter feud. And as we get into the morning, you'll see how that fits into SpaceX and to NASA and a whole bunch of other very interesting stuff. Let me get rid of this on my screen. So um, you're now clicking on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. And right under the guest page, you will see fast links. Click on my name. It's, in case you don't remember it, Richard. And it will take you to the first item, which, of course, we're leading the show as we have every, uh, you know, show period for the last month or so with La Palma. And if you look, there's a really gorgeous video. Just click on that little uh, uh, go arrow and you will see a time lapse of La Palma erupting both in the afternoon and at night. And it. Changes very dramatically. And again, things are not all and well in Mudville, i.e., in La Palma, because remember when this all started about a little over a month ago, the earthquakes, the uh, what they call harmonic tremors underground, which are caused by lava moving in the dark, moving underground, and you know, causing uh, acoustic vibrations, i.e., little earthquakes, were on the order of threes. Now, a few hours ago, I'm sorry, a few days ago, but two days ago, they had their first five-point something. If I remember my Richter scale correctly, every number is an increase by a factor of 10 in the amount of energy released. And if I'm wrong on that, someone will obviously correct me. But if that's true, it means the current earthquake swarms are 100 times worse, more energetic, than they were when this thing started. That's including an increased production of lava. Again, the real concern, the reason that we're watching this uh, like a proverbial hawk is because worst case scenario, either a big quake or swelling gas pressure from the magma underground, making the island literally inflate like a souffle, could cause about half of the island to slide Via gravity into the Atlantic Ocean, raising a tremendous tsunami which would then race across the Atlantic and all parts of the North Atlantic Basin, extending into the Southern Hemisphere, uh, into the Gulf of Mexico, the coast of Texas, west coast of Florida, and it would produce a tsunami that could be hundreds of feet high by the time it bottoms out on the continental shelves racing at the speed of a jet aircraft six, 700 miles an hour so i would like everyone to plug on their phone remember we all have these gadgets now that are like little star trek communicators so you can be plugged into a live seismic network which will alert you if you're in the danger zone which is anywhere around the north atlantic basin primarily and into the Gulf of Mexico and the islands in the Caribbean and even the northern shores of South America. I mean, this is a huge area affecting something like 100 million people. So you want to be alerted early. In Europe, in Africa, you'll have much less warning than on the east coast of the uh, United States. There you'll have between six and nine hours. And the idea is you have packed a go bag and you are set to trot. If you get the signal on that phone that something major seismically has occurred um, at La Palma, you want to get out of Dodge because the wave, when it reaches the shore and crests, well, you've all seen deep impact, right? And the height of that wave. Now, that was because of an asteroid plopping down right off the east coast of the United States. This, of course, is a major seismic event if it occurs, uh, having a 500 billion ton mass of material sliding under gravity off the half the island of La Palma. When it reaches the water, most of the mass, it will be traveling something like 200 miles an hour, which is a uh, high speed propeller craft or a low, low speed jet. And it's going to create a huge tsunami, what they call a mega tsunami. Again, This is a worst, 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 worst case scenario, but it's not zero. So we live in a wired world. You know, there are more important things on the internet than Facebook. So take advantage, have your phone set to trigger. And if you're doing whatever you're doing when that alarm rings, you're going to drop it. You're going to get your go bag and you're going to leave Dodge as soon as possible. So, um... That's item number one. Item number two, this is an actual connection to the uh, uh, story that uh, we could not have live tonight in the third hour. The Halloween launch of the Space Act Crew Dragon named Endeavour with the four new crewmen who are replacing the four previous crewmen from Crew 2 currently aboard the space station. They will be coming back in the next uh, day or so. So that will be another event that we will track and keep you informed of. You can see all this, of course, if you have a uh, NASA TV on your um, on your cable or satellite system, or you can go to NASA.gov and you can watch it on your uh, big screen monitors anywhere in the world, even on your phone anywhere in the world. But it just is a it's really nice to have it on a really big screen because it's. It's it's not like being there, but it's the closest thing to being there, says someone who has seen a lot of launches. Item number three. This is going to be part of our discussion tonight. A few days ago, Bill Nelson, remember I pointed out many, many months ago, right after uh, uh, President Biden was inaugurated, that the most interesting thing from my perspective about his forming a new government was the selection of who was going to be the NASA administrator. Well, he selected uh, Senator Bill Nelson, who was a Democrat who served many terms in, in the Senate from the state of Florida. He also decades ago became one of the first civilian astronauts going up on the Columbia. And I think if I remember correctly, it was the flight before the catastrophe that destroyed Columbia on reentry because of ice hitting the leading edge of one of the wings. So Bill Nelson escaped by one mission, uh, as they used to say, buying the farm. More important, Bill Nelson, like Bill Shatner, is one of the few human beings, something like five or six hundred out of seven billion, who have literally experienced what the view is and the um, uh, experience of being in Earth orbit or in space or seeing the world from the vantage point where you can literally see the dramatic curvature and the pitch-black sky. And we all know how that affected um, uh, Shatner well, obviously, it affected Bill Nelson the same way. So when he made this statement at the Virginia uh, University of Virginia Center for Politics a few days ago, um, I thought it was kind of interesting. In fact, why don't we take a listen to what the current administrator of NASA said so we'll have something to discuss when our guests join us. So let me see if I have all my switches correctly here. And let's go. I am not hearing anything. This is not good. Why am I not hearing anything? Hm. Well, hopefully, um, it is, uh, Present when you click it yourselves, but obviously it's not working for us tonight. Uh, That's not a good thing. Are we in Mercury retrograde? (laughs) Anyway, um, the reason this is interesting is because, and I'll paraphrase what he said, he was asked about um, the Navy pilots, both in the Nimitz and the uh, uh, Roosevelt, who were part of battle groups who had experienced uh, the UAP phenomenon, which, of course, is another newer political code for UFOs, pilots reporting and gun cameras recording and radar systems tracking um, objects which are capable of extraordinary accelerations, decelerations, uh, all of that. And uh, he said that he had talked to the pilots themselves and that he was, you know, convinced of the authenticity of, Of their reports. So, just to kind of limb out what that means, he believes these pilots and the footage and the radar track and the other instrumentation, which reported vehicles capable of stunning performances. I mean, literally diving from 80,000 feet to just above the ocean surface in a second or two. I mean, imagine the G-forces for accelerating and then decelerating so you don't smash into the ocean. And these objects obviously then went into the ocean in controlled flight. They did not crash. So Nelson personally talked to the pilots reporting this, and then he said something really interesting, which in Emily Dickinson's speak, I will then translate. Because he said... um, I I believe the pilots, I believe the data, which means we're looking at vehicles, craft, that are capable of doing things that no other nation, we hope, on Earth can do. He said, you know, if this technology is in the hands of our adversaries, meaning, of course, China or Russia, uh, we're in uh, deep doo-doo, as a former president once said, he said that he really did not think that was realistic And that, of course, leaves only one other alternative, that these are vehicles either coming from another destination in space, in the solar system, or far, far beyond, or from another dimension. In either case, bona fide extraterrestrials. So the reason this is important tonight, on the eve of this uh, space uh, x crew number three launch is because those those people are now being launched by the administrator's own admission into an environment where they're because of the data there is someone else and if they're not from here which nelson seemed to dismiss rather quickly as any reasoned person who has looked at this information going back decades and understanding the development curve of our own control of gravity. And for that, I would recommend Paul the Violet's uh, brilliant book on anti-gravity. Just Google Paul the Violet and anti-gravity and that will take you to Amazon and you can pick up a copy. That details with great specificity the dark black history Of this government's interest in anti gravity and control of gravity for both energy and propulsion going back decades to the early parts of the archaic 20th century in the teens and 20s with people like T. Townsend Brown and uh, uh, a certain physicist named Byfield, etc., etc. So tonight, where we stand is that the current NASA administrator, has all but said, I mean, he said it in a Dickinsonian way, but he has not said the words, we are not alone. There's somebody else up there, out there, down here, playing games with two great aircraft carrier battle groups on the West Coast and the East Coast. And we know that from the time that the original New York Times story broke... In, uh, around Christmas of 2017 that there have been over 300 that's 300, three plotted by two zeros additional incidents which have occurred within sight of uh, Navy pilots and radar systems and cameras, etc. Et so the current NASA administrator tonight is admitting all but tacitly you know, it's Washington-speak, that we are not alone. And when we're joined by our guests, um, uh, Joe Bookman, among others, is going to have a very interesting kind of parallel story. Because, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to tell you as, uh, um, uh, what's his name he used to say, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story when we bring Joe on. Again, going back to the uh, Radio with Pictures section in my section, You want to now look at number four. Is it coincidence, given the administrator's public statements, that a few days ago NASA called for in the scientific community a new framework to give numerical um, values to the probabilities that any specific piece of data indicates we are not alone? kind of like the Torino scale for uh, impacting asteroids. And if you click on number four, it will take you to the NASA announcement with the details of how this new scale could work. But it's obvious that we're being prepped. I mean, come on. It's obvious that everyone's getting their ducks in a row for when we have hearings in the Senate, in the Intelligence Committee, which was, you know, uh, asked for, requested... By uh, Mark Rubio, who is the senior uh, Republican senator from from Florida, and when those take off, there are a number of people kind of waiting in the wings, including these uh, Navy pilots who will testify to unbelievable things now to be joined by the current head of NASA, who basically has already tacitly said, A, he believes them, he believes the data, and B, it's more likely that they're not from here, meaning they are true ETs. We are making progress, and it isn't all that slowly. Which brings us to uh, one of the subjects of tonight, which is Bill Shatner, when he returned, he went on various television shows, including uh, uh, CNN, and he said William some Shackley really interesting things. So let's China listen to uh, one of those interviews now.
1: Bezos. This is the moment that the Star Trek... This, this is
0: Chris he Cuomo on uh, to
1: CNN Tonight. ...he experienced zero gravity after setting a new record as the oldest person in space at 90 years young. And it is what he said when he came back down that made me want to invite him on the show. Listen to this.
2: What you have given me... Oh, oh is the most profound experience I can imagine. Uh, I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I, I just, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. This is life and that's death. That. And it's in, in an instant, you go, "Whoa, that's death. That's what I saw. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. I am, I am overwhelmed
1: all these years as an actor and maybe his most powerful moment on screen came when he wasn't acting <laughs> at all William Shatner joins us on primetime congratulations and it's good to have you
2: thank you I watch you all the time you're a wonderful wonderful commentator and it's a joy to hear you and I'm so glad to be on your program you know you're perforce you need to talk about the dark things that are happening, the dramatic things that can affect us all. Here I am, uh, adding, actually adding to your darkness. I wish I could bring a message of lightness to leaven the, the terrible news you keep uh, uh, announcing, because it is terrible news, uh, the, the way the country is being torn asunder. And, and there's another, even more important fact that, uh, that moved me to tears, is when I saw... A bright blue covering of Earth that's only 50 miles wide, and we plunged through to 2,500 miles an hour, broke through it, and then all of a sudden, like a punch in the face, there was the blackness of space. and None of the mystery of the twinkling stars, of the galaxies, just pure blackness because the sun was in my face and the window, and whatever the reasons were. Space is cold and, and ominous and ugly, and it really threatens death. There's death there. And you look down and there's this warm, nurturing planet. We've all heard it's cliche now, vulnerable, fragile, and all that kind of thing. But it's even more than that. That's death up there and life down here. And between the two, ruining this planet as we are, we're on the verge (laughs) to bring you the good news that we're at the tipping point. We haven't got time to wait 30 years and, and argue about a few billion dollars, which, which we should, uh, what, how much should we invest in, in global warming? We're there. And so all these terrible things happening in the body politic is merely a hesitation before we all, I mean, it's just terrible. And I wish I had better news and more entertainment and jokes to tell you. But I was moved to tears by what I saw, and I come back filled with, overwhelmed by sadness and empathy for this beautiful thing we call Earth.
1: But I think that there is a promise in the truth of that for you, which I think, you know, it it lets people know what really matters, uh, and that once you're up above it all, literally. And it, you know, one of the members of my team found something Uh, that is so cool to me because it's from Star Trek and it's something that you were saying as a line as an actor and I want to ask you what the line means to you now that you've actually lived it. I'll play it for everybody. You'll remember the scene when you see it.
0: You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. But there's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden,
2: temporarily not understood. All decks, stand by. Captain
1: out. We are the enemy. There is no unknown; only what is not understood in the moment. What does that line mean to you now? Well,
2: you know, all these things are true, and they're not true. And the cliches are not cliches. What is true is this: it is the human tendency. in no matter whether it's your personal life, your business life, your love life, if it's not going going well, it's better. You know, I won't. I won't talk. I won't. Uh, I'll just. I won't come home, or I'll. I'll be quiet or I won't say anything. It's so much easier. Burying your head in the sand, another instant about global warming and the destruction of the planet is suicide for all of us. And you know, I'm ready to, not ready to go, but I've I've, I've experienced the earth a lot longer than most people. What is tragic is if our children are, especially our children's children don't have a chance to be part of this beautiful thing we call Earth and and it's just uh, sad. So it, it it doesn't leaven the uh, terrible things that are happening in Washington and the stupidity of the human beings who have put themselves first and not mankind, let alone their country. It is irrational.
1: Are you surprised by how impacted you were?
2: Flabbergasted. I I I I I was sobbing and I couldn't control it because I was overwhelmed. It was like a death and a life. It was, I couldn't control it for several minutes afterwards. And although I've been speaking about it today because everybody's interested, it apparently went, went um, uh, uh, viral. It hit the news, viral all over the world. I wrote a song in my album that I've got up now called Bill, which is so far from the moon. When I was at my depth of a loss and everything, And uh, I'm sure I just walked on the moon. And I was literally figuratively so far from the moon. Brad Paisley accompanies me on it. And the irony of me going closer to the moon and having this kind of success is ironic because things are falling apart. And I want, and that's why I was overwhelmed. I wanted to, I, I didn't think consciously of bringing back the message, but I was wondering what, why am I crying? What is what is what is overwhelming me with emotion to the point that I could hardly speak? I'm an actor; I should have been able to control it. I was unable to. I, it was like hearing the death of someone you love, and suddenly the, the world no longer exists. But this blinding emotional moment.
1: Well, look, I wouldn't shy away from it because I think the authenticity of it is what is so impressive to so many. You mentioned the song in the new album. You mind if I play a little bit of it?
2: No, please. Here you go. The Apollo mission took off. The planet watched enthralled. But man's greatest achievement made this man feel so small. I stared up at the sky. Stars like little pins strong took a giant leap while I held down morning
1: What a very cool multimedia presentation that is, by the way. Uh, the, whole album,
2: the whole album is like that and Brad Paisley, among many other wonderful musicians, are part of that album and it's getting great reviews, but... What I bring back from all that is we have to work, and we have to work quickly at this. We have to unite among many things that we have to unite on. It's all just human beings. I I, I, I don't understand the inability to see what's coming our way and how we have to stand up to it with everything that this incredibly strong country has and we can lead and we can provide And Bezos' philosophy of getting rid of the polluting industries up there is a very practical one. The technology exists now, but we have to do something about global warming now before we
1: all are affected by it. Well, I'll tell you this, Captain. I don't think the gift was the trip. I think the gift is what you brought back, Um, because you have a conviction about what matters and why that even with your time on Earth, I'm sure has never been equaled as it is in your head and your heart right now. William Shatner, uh, I'm not just a fan of your work. I'm a fan of what you've been able to make people think about uh, in your real life. And I wish you good luck with your new album, Bill. Thank you for joining us, sir.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: William Shatner, back on Earth after hitching a ride aboard Blue Ore
3: I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globalone's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency, you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on. I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda, and the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery. and the the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already I think some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news.
0: Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, October 30th, Halloween Eve, which is itself the Eve of All Souls Day, which is November 1st. One of the things we're doing tomorrow night is we're going to have a a Wiccan Halloween. We have a variety of witches. We have some reincarnationists. We have our resident metaphysician. And um, it should be a very interesting show. And between now and then, I'm going to look up a couple of numbers. I did not have time to do that today. But I'm, I'm really focusing in on why do we celebrate Halloween when the veil is supposed to be thinnest? Why do we celebrate it October 31st? Where did that come from? How deep in history is that? And is there any correlation with our model of hyper Dimensional physics. Um, I'm going to have some more stories, you know, postcards from the edge to tell you tomorrow night. There has been more very intriguing communication. I'm not sure where it's coming from. I'm not sure who's behind it, but the content is very, um, telling. Anyway, let me get back to this morning's program because we have some guests and I would like to bring them on now. So without further ado, um, we have Andrew Curry, who is our resident um, artist extraordinaire. He is going to be you know, contributing major sections uh, to the Mars book that we've all been working on for a couple of... Th- How long have we been working on this? Andrew, do you remember... Uh. (laughs) No, it's been so far back in time We don't remember And we also have Dr. Joseph Bookman Who is, uh, he ran for Congress a couple of times On the um, UFO banner I think that's going to be very intriguing And he has a very interesting backstory That connects with Bill Nelson's comments He's with us Joe, are you there? I am, Richard Super and Ron Gerbron is with us, our resident generalist, who knows something about almost everything. And the things he doesn't know about, well, they're probably not worth knowing. Ron, are you are with us?
1: Oh, that was nice. Yes, uh, <laughs> here we are.
0: And finally, last but not least, we're going to be joined in the third hour because he's shooting a movie by director uh, Robin, Robert uh, Scratch-Mitchell. And we all remember how he got his nickname, Scratch. God, he sure owes those guys a case of beer. He really does. Anyway, he'll be joining us in the third hour to talk about some developments both on Earth and in space vis-a-vis making movies. Remember Roddenberry's rule. If it's real, it will be either on television or the big screen or on Facebook or in, you know, social media, whatever, whatever. So, um, gentlemen... Uh, let me ask you point blank. What do you think of craft of craft of of uh, Bill Shatner's really dramatic and still ongoing uh, transformation? I mean, to hear him now and to compare him as the actor he was when he played James Tiberius Kirk. I mean, I, I should be pardoned. Hopefully you will for thinking that this really is the beginning, as I argued with Gene Roddenberry for. Decades, the beginning of the transformation of the fictional Star Trek universe into having it begin for real. Who wants to uh, go first? Joe?
4: Well, I, I was struck by it, I, I gather, as you have been, and um, and surprised. Uh, and yet he's speaking a, a deep, uh, profound truth, which is, uh, as you go... Uh, out beyond the, the layer of the atmosphere and you look at the blackness of space, it, it occurred to him not as an infinite universe teeming with life, a cosmic ocean, but death is up there. And, and he came back and said, maybe that's what death is like. A- a- and it's also true if you go down uh it, you know below ground, well that that's where death is as well, obviously. And, and he talked about this thin blue skin uh, where life exists and, and the only place we know you know, without a doubt, or most of humanity knows without a doubt. I think some of us know there's life out there. But at any rate, the, the, most of us know there's this life on this very thin skin that surrounds this uh, ball uh, of deadly uh, rock and, and and dirt and whatever, um, and, and a little thin layer of life, the skin of that, and then death beyond that. A- and uh, the way that he was struck by that and was able to articulate it was I think a unique in all of human history. I mean, Ed Mitchell did a did a fantastic job. The Apollo guys all had that that sense of wonder and and, and uh, connection with with the cosmos. But Shatner brought it back in a in a very special, intimate, profoundly moving way.
0: Because they weren't Captain Kirk. Hmm. I mean, I can't tell you. Well, I'll try. How many arguments I had with Gene, you know, in coffee shops at their home on the set when i visited him at paramount begging him to connect the star trek universe with reality and my idea at the time was for him to do remember how they did that that time loop thing where they wound up back over the continental united states in the 60s and they had uh, uh used an episode a track, titled assignment earth assignment well that was one of them there was another one which had a pilot in an air force aircraft that went up like Mantell and saw this object, the Enterprise in the stratosphere, and he tried to reach it, and Scotty tried to to uh, rescue him with a tractor beam, and it destroyed the aircraft, but it saved him. And then they had the problem of putting him back in the timeline without changing anything. Well, um, that experience, that 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 transformation of time and history, I wanted Gene to basically do another time travel thing where the Enterprise goes back to when the O'Neill colonies were just becoming kind of conversation uh, at NASA at Goddard when I was there with uh, uh, Jerry O'Neill and and he spoke. I wanted him to somehow mix the fictional Star Trek universe with the reality that space is the only way we're going to save this planet and he absolutely, resolutely refused again and again to do it. Now, God rest his soul, he would have been a 100, you know, a few months ago. Um, Shatner has done it. He has closed the loop. He has brought for those millions and millions and millions of Trekkies all over the world who are at all levels of government and science and academia and show business and cops on the beat and longshoremen and everybody. I mean, who has not seen and been somehow struck by Star Trek? The captain has spoken. It is vital that we pursue this final frontier or else we die. And he said something very important. I was praying that he would say this, which he did in the end of the Cuomo interview, he talked about Bezos' vision of lifting all heavy industry from the Earth's surface into space where it belongs. Well, as I said uh, the last time we talked about this, which was a couple weeks ago, that that idea really is the brainchild of Kraft Ereke, my friend who was part of the, um, um, you know, the Operation Paperclip group that was brought over to White Sands, and then uh, uh, Alabama, uh, Redstone there at the end of World War II. And I actually found a a, a quote from Kraft in his book, The Extraterrestrial Imperative, which the only one I could find was his literal obit in the New York Times for 1984, which is item number six in my uh, items on Radio with Pictures. So with your Um, deference, let me read what Kraft Erikey said, which by way of Jeff Bezos has transformed, you know, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, to where he's enunciating where we've got to go. Quoting Erikey, man, the cutting edge of terrestrial life has no rational alternative but to expand the environmental and resource base beyond Earth. Global development, therefore, must be based on an open world concept and include both the development of extraterrestrial resources and the wiser management of our terrestrial resources. This is the extraterrestrial imperative. Its central goal is the preservation of civilization. Joseph? Okay. Did we lose Joseph? No, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Okay. Well, Shatner has basically taken up the cudgels of that philosophy, of that perspective. He's finally done what I could never get Roddenberry to do, which is to mix the fiction with the fact and open up the Star Trek universe for real.
4: It's very cool, and and he mentioned moving
0: industry off the planet out to space. That was Eric's um, primary extraterrestrial imperative. Yeah, we must creating develop creating a, a
4: planet, The planet then becomes kind of a global park uh,
0: that you go to vacation on. Exactly.
4: And the the Ex- much safer place. This place isn't safe, as you started out the. show I mean, can with. you imagine if we'd um, had
0: thirty, forty years of running room to get that idea through Star Trek, through Shatner, through Roddenberry, through writing? imbued in the consciousness of humanity that this really is the turning point for civilization the beginning of the federation let me let let me bring up another point um uh, a couple days ago israel and the united arab emirates made a joint announcement remember israel the enemy of the arab state the arab states all enemies of israel they are now discussing and that's item number six The connection of these two nations, Israel and the UAE, in a joint mission to the moon, flying both flags together. And they're literally, uh, you know, days away from from, you know, uh, signing this agreement, which in the next, uh, I think, three or four years will put two spacecraft, each carrying the other's flags on the lunar surface to begin looking at what's really there. And of course, as people of this show have heard many, many times, there's so much there that no one has acknowledged. And again, Shatner has opened a doorway to the beginning of the Federation, which is the convivial connection and progress of multicultural, multi-perspective nationalities under one common goal which is the furtherance and beneficence of humankind and it's right there it's happening in the real news even as shatner has undergone his transformative and very public experience
4: yeah the federation was a federation of planets but the prerequisite
0: you gotta that. start is, is smaller a united planet yeah. <laughs> yes yes You have to have something like a United Planet. Remember, it it started out as the United Federation of Planets, and then they just dropped the United part, and it was the Federation. Anyway, it it just struck me as, as this is the beginning of so many extraordinary things, not the least of which is Bill Nelson basically saying, well, they're not our skies, so if they're not our stuff, whose are they?
4: It's pretty obvious, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Well, to you and me. But again, we are a small, small subset. The Star Trek universe is not small. The Star Trek universe is huge. Can you imagine if uh, Nelson and Shatner, who both have now shared this almost unique experience, are able to get together and kind of talk to each other at this new level? What could come of that? What could well, not it, come of that?
4: I mean, Nelson had a substantially different experience than that he was on orbit, whereas Shatner uh, didn't get even quite as high as Al Shepard. But, and yet, they're both affected the same way. Well, Apparently, it, it, ten reminds minutes that, it reminds of
0: not, me of that old you know, French joke, you know, a man live a hundred years only take a minute to die. It, yeah. didn't, it didn't take five days for Shatner to undergo his transformation. Right. It took five minutes. Now, let me tell you something really weird. When Nelson was made administrator of NASA, he obviously has to fill the, the, you know, the offices around him, deputy administrators, head of science, uh, exploration, all that stuff. The one guy he chose to be his deputy, his deputy administrator, was a guy that I'm sure most people have never heard of, a guy named Bob Cabana, who was a shuttle astronaut— who then became the head of Cape Canaveral, the uh, you know the the Kennedy well, Launch Center, and you just happen to have a very interesting story about Bob Cabana for the audience this evening. So, yeah, Dr. I mean, Brooklyn, Cape, go ahead.
4: Cape Canaveral is a is a is a piece of land. He was the head of of the Kennedy Space Center. Right, there. right there, and um, so I was in Orlando, Florida. Um, what year the 2000, 2016 um, okay. libertarian presidential nominating convention uh, where we had uh, gary johnson and, and bill weld two former governors republican governors very democratic leading states and so just prior to that i'd actually gone down there to do disney and um, my daughter and i had a good time at disney but we realized we didn't want to spend as much time there as we'd planned and i had a good friend uh over uh, at at the CAPE, who runs a uh, spacelaunchinfo dot actually has a phone number that starts three two one and then it's liftoff. off. Three two one lift off. <laughs> and you, you call that and get all the information about launches. He actually lobbied to get that area code assigned there when they broke the old you gotta have a zero and a one in the middle of your area code. What a perfect there's no better area code than area code three two one for for the CAPE.
0: Nope.
4: Um and so um I'd been talking to him and we wanted to get together, and he said, well, you know, the, the, the Space Congress is going on. I said, what's that? I said, well, it's a bunch of NASA guys, and they've got a um, exhibit hall, and there's you know a lot of people trying to sell stuff to the space industry, and Buzz Aldrin's going to be the keynote speaker. And I said, how do I get a ticket? And he said, well, come on over. They actually gave me a media credential because I was writing for a website at that time that I I'd qualified for. Which
0: is the best one to have, of course, at these events. Oh, yeah,
4: it's the way to go. And so I'm, I'm like Anna. You get to meet the um, one. I like to put it this way, Anna. You're going to get to meet one of the first two men to land on the moon simultaneously. Uh, Buzz Aldrin doesn't particularly care for being called the second man to, to <laughs> walk on the moon. They, they landed simultaneously. Yes, they Thank did you very much. And uh, you know, he was pushing his get your ass to Mars. But they also had the public school appropriate stickers they had the get your ass to mars under the table he was an exhibit an the exhibit hall but he was also the keynote speaker anyhow not going to turn that down it was right before the the presidential nominating convention and so off we go and there's a big banquet and cabana gives a um, a wonderful uh, keynote speech and then he says does anyone have any questions and uh nobody raised their hand
0: <laughs> no and, way at uh, this time cabana was the the director, director of, of the Kennedy uh Direct, Law, space center yeah. yeah KSC.
4: Kennedy space center yeah so um, he calls on me and um, this was just um, shortly after uh, Hillary Clinton had been uh, talking about the issue the New York Times had had the kind of a first little piece on it
0: of course the the uh, the issue being the con- UFOs and reality and all that.
4: UAPs. She was using the term UAPs, which I, I was quoted in the New York Times uh, saying that that meant she had been briefed. She didn't come up with UAP on her own. No. no right. No. She would have said UFO. Exactly. So, um, and I had had ABC news to try to get hold of me to, to be on a uh, nightline, I think. Uh, but they, they tried calling me uh, during my dad's uh, memorial service about a month after he died, we had a memorial service after that we took off for Disney. And so I wasn't on ABC, but I, it was very much fresh in my mind. So I said uh, to Bob, um, listen, if, um, if President Clinton calls um, and asks you uh, to reveal whatever evidence um, NASA here at the Cape has around whether we're alone in the cosmos or not— and about the time I got to that point in the question, there was a groan in this in this banquet hall. Probably two, three hundred people there.
0: All very straight-laced <laughs> mainstream people yeah, trying to NASA, sell NASA people stuff. Contractors, NASA people. Oh, groan! UFOs. Yeah, and there's the
4: UFO nut. All of them had pencil protectors. By the way, you are
0: overmodulating boxes. a bit. If you can turn down ah, the volume, maybe I'm a little
4: close to the mic. Yeah. I'm leaning in.
0: So um, because I'm
4: excited, Richard, you know, (laughs) so um, what would you have to tell her? So there's this kind of moan. Wait a
0: minute. Let let me back up. When you say President Clinton, you mean the overwhelming assumption in the fall of 2016 that Hillary would be the next president of the United States, Donald Trump would fall by the wayside, and because of the statements she had made to the press, like the editorial board up in New York State or wherever, that she was going to open some kind of serious UFO, UAP investigation. That's the context of this. Yeah, that's where we all were.
4: Uh, you know, the, 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 all the pollsters had 95% yep. Yep. plus odds and she was the only one talking about it. So of course, um, and, um, so he, he turns to the audience, he says, no, 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 this is a serious question. And then he looks at me and says, um, no, as, as, uh, you know, NASA is not hiding anything. Um, we don't have any evidence that we're not alone. Um, but. What I want you to know is that every moment I was on orbit, meaning him, Bob Cavana back when he was still flying the shuttle, I was taking every spare moment that I wasn't scheduled to do something to look out a window. And believe me, I was hoping to see a mothership. And, um, And what I know and what we've learned about the size of the cosmos, it's inconceivable that we could be alone. And then he says again, and this is a serious question. Everybody in this room ought to be taking this, um, seriously. And it was pretty clear that, that, uh, presidential candidate Clinton was taking it very seriously. So my friend came up to me and he said, you know, when you asked that question, I was, I was pretty mortified, but, uh, but that worked out okay. Um, and so, uh, and then people came up to me after that to talk to me about it. Cause I'd had the, I'd had the guts <laughs> right in mm-hmm. the heart of NASA. Ask the director of the Cape, <laughs> if he had any evidence that he would share with the president, uh, uh, that we're not alone. Now, I don't know if he was telling me the truth or not. I, su- I suspect he was, but I also suspect there are those at NASA uh, who know. Well,
0: wait, let me uh, – st- why would you say he's not telling you the truth if he's willing to in front of obviously groans of all the NASA and contractor people to go against the stream – elevate you, make the question yeah. serious, and then admit in public that he spent every off hour looking out the damn windows to see if there's anybody upstairs? It's a great question. I have a great answer.
4: And it's because I, I've known uh, a gentleman. His first name is Roger. And, you know, people can Google this, probably figure it out from what I'm about to tell you. But I, I've known him since um, 1975. We met at the National Euro Conference at the University of Miami in Oxford, Ohio. And um known him since then, and he became a physician, uh, eventually uh, a pilot in the Air Force, and eventually uh, was on track to, to be a shuttle astronaut. And Challenger exploded in, in January of 87, and uh, he aged out. And so he took a position as chief of medical operations uh, in Houston. And in 1998, I got to visit uh, Roger in Houston. So this was uh, what 98 to 2016, eight years earlier. And um, I see I got four minutes to to pull this together before the break, or maybe I'll leave it with a cliffhanger. We can all we
0: can continue it after.
4: Yes, I may leave it with a clip hammer. Anyway, <laughs> I went down to Houston and Roger said, uh, what would you like to do? I said, I want to go to
0: the,
4: the room with the moon rocks and handle a moon rock. He says, yeah, we can't do that. So what about a simulator? Maybe we could practice some landings at the Cape. And he said, well, we could do that, but I get in trouble. Is there anything else you'd like to do? And I just said, yeah, I'd like to sit in the in Mission control. And he said, no problem. So he badged me through to NASA mission control, one of the two mirrored rooms there, because sometimes they had two missions to control, one at, at the space station Mir and, and then the shuttle itself. And uh, I was just like a kid in a candy store.
0: <laughs> I oh, bet.
4: Gosh, I always wanted to be the voice of mission control.
0: Yeah, I met Sally Ride in one of those rooms, those flight control mm. centers.
4: But it, it was a little disappointing because you know it was all built in a hurry. It was it was low cost government contracting, and, and architecturally, mission you know the building that Mission Control was inside of was very much like a college dorm, you know, cinder mm-hmm. blocks and, and ugly paint. But there was a bulletin board, a government bulletin board, just outside of Mission Control that had weekly world news front page of Bill Clinton greeting a space alien coming down
0: the ramp. Oh, for I a show. remember that headline and that picture. Oh my yeah. gosh. So we go back to his apartment. The Weekly and, um, World News.
4: Yeah. We go back to his apartment. And he says, So what'd you think? And I said, Well, it all seemed like antiques. I, I guess the really high tech stuff <laughs> is is out in the middle of a desert in Nevada somewhere. I mean, that's where the really cool tech is, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And he said, Well, if I knew, I couldn't tell you. And I said, Well, you know, it, it's not like we have flying saucers shadowing our shuttles on orbit, is it? So here's the answer to Bob Cabana. As well, he says. Uh, my friend says to me, "Joe, you got to understand. To get a job like this, you got to sign certain little pieces of paper that basically eliminate the Bill of Rights." And as much as I might like to talk about some things, even with my own wife, if I were to do so, uh, they would find out. Uh, she, I would go to a place worse than Leavenworth, and she would lose the healthcare pension uh, benefits, healthcare and pension benefits. So don't ever ask me about that again. So, listen, anybody listening in with the government, uh, my friend Roger does not talk about this stuff, but I I think they do sign NDAs. You know, I had to sign an NDA just to work for the Gary Johnson campaign, (laughs) one without a a lot of uh, consequences. But I have a feeling when you get a position like that at a high level and and those government agencies, probably all of them, maybe not the Park Service, but (laughs) maybe the rest. Uh, there are severe consequences for talking about things you can't talk about. And maybe Bob Cabana had one of those, too, but he could say it's something that ought to be taken seriously. And boy, Bill
0: Nelson just took it to a whole other level, didn't he? Because he's the uh-huh. current head of NASA. Yeah, Put there by President yep. Joseph R. Biden, not yep. by accident. Hey, we're yep. at the uh, we're at the top of the hour. So let's uh, let's pause here. My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, we'll do it when we come back. Um, I just am amazed at how rapidly we are reaching critical mass. Because what you've now heard is that the two top officials of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, the senior guy, Bill Nelson, basically saying they're real and they're not from here. I mean, what more do you want? And then the other guy, the deputy, who says when he's asked, well, I spent every waking moment at the windows when I wasn't on duty looking to see if they're out there. And then Joseph's personal friend who says, well, if you see that, you sign this stuff, you can't even say it. And he didn't say it, but I'll say it, but you can say it in an Emily Dickinsonian fashion. And so now we have the pieces on the board that when the time comes, and Steve Basson and I agree it's going to be probably toward the end of the year, or maybe the beginning early months of next year, when the decks are cleared and public attention and the White House, the administration, and the top tier of NASA can basically begin to answer the question, are we alone? My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of midnight. We shall return. And wait you hear what we're going to go to next. Don't touch that dial. Over and out.